personality of Godhead is pure, being free from all contaminations of material tinges, is the absolute truth and the embodiment of full and perfect knowledge. He is all-pervading without beginning or end and without rival. O Narda, O great sage, the great thinkers can know him when completely freed from all material hankerings and when sheltered under the disturbed, undisturbed conditions of the senses. Otherwise, by untenable arguments, all is distorted and emerges in the impersonal existence of the absolute truth. But here it is said that the Lord is eternally the symbol of full and perfect knowledge. This is speciality, perpetual freedom from all material contaminations. This distinguishes the Lord from the individual common living entities who have the aptitude for being subordinated by nations and thus becoming materially designated. In the Vedas it is said that the Lord is vijnanam anandam, full of bliss and knowledge. The conditioned souls are never to be compared to him because such individual souls have the tendency of which this on the contrary, the sinful living entities become sterilized by contact with the Lord. This means that the Lord is also all-pervading like the sun, and as such, the word pratyak is used in this verse. Nothing is excluded from the existence of the Lord's potential expansions. The Lord is within everything, and he is all-covering also, without being disturbed, without being disturbed by the activities of the individual souls. He is therefore infinite, and the living entities are infinitesimal. In the Vedas, it is said that only the Lord alone exists, and all other, others' existences depend on him. He is the generating reservoir for everyone's existential capacity. He is the supreme truth and all other categorical truths. He is the source of everyone's opulence, and therefore no one can excel him in opulence. Being full of all opulences, namely wealth, fame, strength, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation, certainly he is a supreme person. And because he is a person, he has many personal qualities, although he is transcendental to the modes of material nature. We have already discussed the statement, Itam Bhuta, itam bhuta Gunohari, in Bhagavatam 1710. Itam Bhuta Gunohari. Can anybody say anything about that verse, Itam Bhuta Ganohari, from 1st Kenneth 7, chapter of the Bhagavatam? It's a really important part of the Bhagavatam. Kamea, 1st Kanto, 7th chapter, please. Okay, I'll tell you the story of Itam Bhuta Ganohari and why it's so important. The, the Bhagavatam is transcendental to the modes of material nature. One of the ways we know this is that Shukadeva Goswami was completely transcendental to the modes of material nature, so much so that he didn't want to come out of the womb. And he finally came out on the assurance, assurance of Krishna himself. That's one, two, one, seven, ten. Thank you very much. It's a real opulence to have the Bhagavatam on hand. We can't take it for granted. People used to have to copy these by hand on palm leaves. And there were a lot of mistakes because scribes aren't perfect. 
So, Shukri Goswami, when he came out of the womb, he left home. Yam prapanchantamanu peitama peita kritiam dvaipayana viraha kartara ajuhava putre titan matamataya tarabo binidus tambut ridam em unim anantosmi. He left home. His father called out to him, you know, please come back. And he didn't answer. He didn't turn around. He just left. Only the trees responded in, as an echo. And he uh, had no connection to the material modes at all. And so he went off into the wilderness. His father, Srila Vyasadev, sent some of his students there to the forest to read verses from the Bhagavatam aloud, uh, out loud. And uh, when they did, he became attracted. And this is one of the ways the Bhagavatam talks about how this is not an ordinary book. Shukadeva Goswami was beyond the modes, but he was attracted to this, because this is Tadvagvisargo Janataga Viplavo Yasmin Prati Shlokam Abhadyabhadyapi. It's from a different creation. So those like Buddha and uh, Mayavadis, they say God is uh, only personal in a uh, circumstantial way, but actually the ultimate source is impersonal. And that the goal of life is void, like Buddha advocated uh, nihilism. Nirvana means the light goes out. And there, is nothing, there is no more existence anymore for you because the material life is so troublesome. And therefore, the idea is that the opposite of that is nothing. Or it's merging into the impersonal Brahman and losing your personality. But Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Vitaraga Bhaya Kroda Yanmaya Mamupashvita Bhavo Jnana Tapasa Putamad Bhavamagata. There are three attitudes that we have to abandon in order to come to the perfected stage of life. Vita means to give up. Raga means attachment to matter, because that is in alignment with what the Buddha said, material desire has caused suffering. But we don't have, if we don't have a positive replacement for that, then the non-attachment to matter means that we'll come back to it again. Ariya krishchena param param tata patantyato nadrita yushma nangraya. You can't stay away from it for very long because the senses need something to do. Anyway, raga, one should give up attachment to matter. Bhaya means fear of personal existence. So Prabhupada gives this example that if man is in the hospital and everything he does is painful, he's got tubes coming in and out. Just uh, elimination is painful. Breathing is painful. Does it hurt? Only when I breathe. And there's uh, a sense that he has it's, uh, everything is suffering. So then he imagines that uh, well, someone tells him, no, you're gonna, you're gonna, your health will improve and then again you'll be able to eat, again you'll be able to eliminate, you'll be able to move about and everything. You think, no, 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 it's not possible. And he's afraid uh, even of existing anymore because he's in so much pain now. He can't imagine a, a, pos, a positive position of life, a healthy condition of life. And krodha means anger because people hear so many uh, substandard philosophies that conflict with, with each other, then they think, oh, there's, 
and it's all bogus. There is no philosophy. Then they retreat into postmodernism, like your truth, my truth, whatever you believe. It's, it's good. If it's good for you, it's fine, but there is no absolute truth. And then they become angry if someone says, you know, there, there is a, 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 a real, a, there is reality, and they become angry. So Krishna says you have to give these up. So <clears throat> Shukadev Goswami, he was merged into oneness in the sense that he didn't see anything in the material world as being more important than another thing. And Krishna brings out this mentality in the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where he says, when you see pebbles, stones, and gold as the same, then you're in this uh, position. Do you feel like that? If someone offers a pebble, a stone, or a big block of gold, it's like, it's all the same to me. So he says, when you come to that level, that was the level that Shukadev was on. It's all the same. He didn't see male or female forms, and they knew it also, because when he left home, he went by a pokor, and there were uh, young women bathing without any clothes, and they didn't even bother to uh, cover themselves, because they just like, oh yeah, he's not in this world, he doesn't even see us. But when Shilavyasadev, who was running behind him, uh, passed by there, they all got dressed really quickly, because... He was a grahasta, and he made some distinction. So that's the position of Shukadev, that he had no distinction here in the material world. But when he heard Bhagavatam, itam Ganohari, it is full of transcendental qualities from the spiritual world. So on a number line, there's negative numbers. That's material life. That's the trouble that we get into when we try to enjoy the material world. We get entangled, and we have to pay the debt with interest. That's karma. Negative. It looks like you're getting higher numbers, but actually they're all negative. So that's not very good. So then the Buddha comes along and says, no, just go to zero. Take shelter of zero. There is nothing. And so, yeah, that's a little bit of relief at zero. Like, if you don't like your work, you can go on strike. At least you used to be able to. But then you still have to go back to work somewhere. So the positive numbers is the Shumad Bhagavatam. It tells about healthy life the life beyond the diseased material condition where we actually feel ananda. Ashriya kanta kanta parama purusha kalpataravo druma bhumishchintamani ganamai toyamamritam kataganam natyam gamanam apibamshi prayasaki chirarandam jyoti paramapitaraswadyam apija sayatra shirabdi sravati surabhibhyasya sumahan nameshar jakyo vabratiti nahiyatrapi samayaha what did I just say? <laughs> what? Brahma Samhita, very good. It's, a, it's a, a very beautiful section of the Brahma Samhita that says, the material, in the spiritual world, every word is a song. Every gate is a dance. The flute can be heard everywhere by everyone. All living entities are just uh, blissful. And the water there is like nectar and so forth. So there's a, there is a reality that is uh, ever existing that is all blissful and in which we're engaged in spiritual activities. And the Srimad Bhagavatam brings us that information of that world. 
Uh, and that's when itam bhuta guno pari is so important because most people don't know this. They think spiritual life means zero or renunciation, but it actually means entering into the positive numbers of the spiritual world. Haribo. Keep going. His transcendental qualities are so attractive that even the liberated souls, Atmaramas, are also attracted by them. Although possessed of all personal qualities, he is nevertheless omnipotent. Therefore, personally, he has nothing to do. For everything is being carried out by his omnipotent energies. This confirmed by the Vedic mantras, parasha shaktir vividagashuryate sobhaviki jnana balakriyacha. This suggests his specific spiritual form, which can never be experienced by the material senses. He can be seen only when the senses are purified by devotional service. Yam evaisha vrinute tena labhya. As such, there are basic differences between the Lord and the living entities in so many respects. No one can be compared to the Lord as the Vedas declare, ekam eva dvitiyam brahma dvaita dvai bhayam bhavati. The Lord has no competitor and he has nothing to fear from any other being, nor can anyone be equal to him. Although he is the root of all other beings, there are basic differences between him and other beings. Otherwise, there would have been no necessity for the statement in the previous verse that no one can know him 100% as he is. Nayam vidante tatvena. That no one can fully understand him is explained also in this verse. But the qualification for understanding to some degree is mentioned here. Only the prashantas, or the unalloyed devotees of the Lord, can know him to a greater extent. The reason is that the devotees have no demands in their lives but to be obedient servants of the Lord. While all others, namely the empiric philosophers, the mystics, and the fruit of workers, all basically have some demand, and as such, they cannot be pacified. The fruit of worker wants reward for his work, the mystic wants some perfection of life, and the empiric philosopher wants to merge in the existence of the Lord. Somehow or other, as long as there is a demand for sense gratification, there is no chance for pacification. On the other hand, on the contrary, rather, by unnecessary dry speculative arguments, the whole matter becomes distorted. And thus the Lord moves still further away from our understanding. The dry speculators, however, because of their following the principles of austerity and penance, have come, can have knowledge of the impersonal features of the Lord to some extent. But there's no chance of their understanding his ultimate form as Govinda, because only the Amalatmanas, or the completely sinless persons, can accept pure devotional service to the Lord as confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita 728. You know the seventh chapter? Okay, let's take a few reflections. Anything you heard as it was 
A sick purport, yes. Um, it, in the purple, it said that the Lord is like the sun, so no impurities can go near it. So the and uh, all impurities are also sterilized by the rays of the sun. So like that, like Krishna, um, like by his like mercy, which are like the rays of the sun, like we, like the living entities, they get like because we're impure, we also get like sterilized. That's right. It's in that verse too that you gave. Sapari Shukram Akaya Mavranam Asnavanam Shudham Apapavidham Kavir Manishi Paribhu Swayamburu Yatatyaktitor Tan Viradashasvati Vyasamabhya This verse from the Sri Upanishad points out that the Supreme Personality of God it is prophylactic. It means that anyone who comes near him becomes purified by contact with him. So when we're chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, we're in direct contact with the Supreme Personality of Godhead, correct? Yes. Can you prove it? Remember what we said was proof yesterday? Yes. Yeah, give us some Shastra, prove that the Holy Name and Krishna are the same. Give me a verse. I want Sanskrit, or at least Bengali. This is a verse from the Padma Purana that says that Nama Chintamani Krishnas. So Krishna is like Chintamani, and that means a stone that can transform anything into gold. So just by his touch, Nama, so the name of Krishna, Nama Chintamani Krishnas, Chaitanya means it's alive. The name isn't just some material sound vibration, it's actually a person. So uh, Nama Chintamani Krishnas, Chaitanya Rasa, Rasa means there's taste, there's a flavor there. Rasa, Vigraha, and there's form also. So this is important that we can understand the form of Krishna through chanting his name. So Narada Muni explains this in his teachings to Srila Vyasadeva in the fifth chapter of the Bhagavatam where he says, Iti murtya vidanena mantra murtya mamurtikam yajate yakya purusham sasam yad darshanapuman. He said, if you want the full darshan of Krishna, who wants that? One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> then he says, here's the way. Iti murtya vidanena mantra murtimamurtikam. The word murti has two meanings, according to the Amara Kosh Sanskrit dictionary. So murti means form. Like people say, I'm going to buy a murti of Krishna. It means the form. Murti also means without difficulty. So, oh, excuse me, it means difficulty. So, when you chant the name of Krishna, then he says, Iti murtyabhidanena mantra murtim amurtikam. So seeing the murti becomes amurtikam, which means not difficult when you chant the name. And so he says, if you want the complete darshan of the Lord, then you chant the name, and you'll become acquainted directly with the form of the Lord. Namatintamanis Krishna, Chaitanya Rasa Vigra, Purna Shudho. So, Purna means complete. There's nothing uh, missing in chanting the holy name. Krishna's fully present. Shudho means completely pure. 
And Nitya Mukto, the holy name is always liberated, eternally liberated. Abhinatvam means there's no difference between the name and Krishna himself. Namanamino. No difference between the name and the named. Is that good? But I want to enter one other piece of evidence that I think you'll like. This is from Srila Rupa Goswami's Namashtakam, where he says, Vacham vachakam ityudeti bhavato naman so rupa dvayam. Although this verse that I just previously quoted says that there's no difference between Krishna and his name, Rupa Goswami in his, in his Namashtakam says, Oh, yes, there is. There's a difference. So, what's the difference? The difference, he says, is that Krishna's name, although non-different from him, is more merciful than Krishna himself. Because although one may offend Krishna somehow or other and end up in the material world, the name follows us here. And by taking advantage of the name, by taking the name every day, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare then we're reinstated. We come back into the bliss of the spiritual world and service to Krishna. That's how kind Krishna's name is. So it's easy to see the form of Krishna and uh, through chanting his name and also uh, being reinstated in our eternal spiritual service through chanting Krishna's name. And f one final uh, verse to introduce how Krishna is non-different from his name and that is from the very first chapter of the Bhagavatam says, Apana samsritim gorang yanama vibhushogranan tatasadyo vimucheta yadbibheti swayam bayam which means that there's no difference between Krishna and his name. And if you ever get afraid of anything, you're not afraid of anything, right? Okay. The verse says, if you're ever afraid of anything, then you can call out for Krishna's help because he's personally present in his name. If you were afraid of something, let's hear what, what you'd say. You're about to go off a bridge or something like that. Hare Krishna! So the verse says that the, uh, Krishna... Uh, is so powerful and he's so present in his name that fear personified is afraid of Krishna's name. Fear personified. So Prabhupada says everyone should take advantage of that and take shelter of Krishna's names wherever they are. Oh, Krishna, please help me. So you're driving down the road and instead of saying, whoa, say, Krishna, practice, you know, throughout our lives. Okay, any other points? Yes. Um, um. It never occurred to me until like this 10 minutes ago, um, not hopefully that people um, are attracted to impersonalism because of the suffering. It's just, uh, it was a really nice connection, but, uh, but I, I, it also surprised me, and that was that the, so I work with the, I was served with the Swiss Conjugational Program at the Temple, and we do this religion conferences, and we're really hoping for the Ishtagosh to do you, but here we are today, um, that there's a lot of, some of the religions are impersonal, like even like the bits of Christianity and lots of Hindu uh, little groups, they're, they're very impersonal, and I just, and I just, it hit me that sometimes people, um, I don't know how, I don't, I'm not in the mood of converting anybody, but I just kind of sometimes feel like people don't believe in personalism because they, they it's too far-fetched, or it's like a fairy tale, or unachievable. Right. Um, so because you experience like as a person, um, would you, could you give us some, and also, the Buddhists can be a bit impersonal. I don't know if you 
just the dealings, but it's a nice connection then because of the suffering of the personalism. But I don't know how to, yeah, how to make that bridge and. Well, just going from what you said about how it seems like a fairy tale, mm. it, to, to many people, the, to intellectualize the process, the idea that spiritual world is the opposite of the material world is as far as they can go through mental speculation. This is a point that Prabhupada makes elsewhere, but he makes another part of the point here in the purport we just read. He said you require... That noise. Oh, okay. Um, thought a train was coming. So, Krishna. He says that in order to know Govinda, the personality got it. You have to have association with pure devotees. I experienced this myself, just a personal anecdote. But uh, I was in my teens, and I had become convinced that I had to find the truth, and so uh, I got in contact with various literatures, whatever was available at the time. And uh, most of them were impersonal, as you point out. I, I read Prophet's books. The first thing I saw in the Back to Godhead magazine I got from my friend Richie Corsar, who brought it to me. He bought it on the street, didn't want it. He said, I, kn I know you're into this stuff, here you go. And I opened it and I was uh, amazed. And so one of the first stimuli I received towards the personal conception was an advertisement for the Sri Shapanishad. It had a picture of Vishnu in the causal ocean, and it said, the ancient Vedas of India say that God is actually a person. And that's, I stared at it for at least an hour. It's like, someone actually came out and said it. You know, <laughs> like, who has the courage to say such a thing? Because most people, uh, like people who... Uh, theorize about it without any help from the Shastra of pure devotees, they come to this conclusion because uh, it, it's something they think is uh, comparable to the way they are and they can't imagine it. And so I remember when I first came to the temple and I was uh, introduced to the deities and I couldn't see them because in my meditations, before I joined the temple, even though I'd already started reading Prophet's books, I was used to looking at nature and seeing God everywhere, like life, like pantheism kind of, like God's all pervading and he's within all, all everything. See God within everything. And I was chanting my mantra, my Rama mantra. And so what I first gravitated towards when I saw the deity was, was the flowers on the altar. <laughs> And I, you know, everyone else was seeing the deity. I was, I, didn't, I couldn't even see the deity. I was just looking at the flowers. And I think, I don't know what this other, you know, image is. What does it mean? But I remember um, being in the temple for about a month. And Bhagavatam class would go on every day. And the devotees were reading and commenting on the uh, Krishna's interaction with the queens in Dwarka. And there was a verse they were on, and the, our temple president was speaking about it, and the, said the, the, how attracted the queens were to Krishna. And they said they couldn't quit his lotus feet. Just that line. Somebody was sitting there, it's like, they couldn't quit his lotus feet. He has lotus feet. <laughs> and it, it came to me as a revelation 
that, uh, you know, Christian is a person. And, and I got entry into that and then started appreciating the deity so much, I, I couldn't leave the temple room. I just had to sit there and chant. I was so taken with it. But it took a process of being led into to the spiritual world by the association of Vaishnavas and the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's a rarefied atmosphere and that's required to overcome the obstacles of the material world, at least from those who are contaminated by you know, these other, by materialism and by, by Mayavadism, which is also another kind of materialism, actually. And it leads to extreme materialism. So the answer is that it, one has to have the association of, of pure devotees because they're the ones that actually know Krishna because they're in contact with the internal potency and they can pass it on to us. It actually makes perfect sense, even logically, that God's a person. But when one is contaminated by rajas and tamas, it's very difficult to think correctly and ascertain that. Okay? All right. Any other uh, reflections or questions from the last verse? Yes? Maharaj, you just said that Maya is the extreme materialism. Yes. And I have read many times in Prabhupada's um, lecture, I've heard that to consider oneself as God is the last snare of Maya. Right. That's what he says. So what you have said and what he is saying, is there... Any connection? Yes. Um, what, what Prabhupada says frequently about the last snare of Maya, it, it means that I have a desire to be God. I try in the material world, and when I fail, then I take to a philosophy that allows me to imagine that I am the Supreme. So that's a non-spiritual thought. And... The reason I said it leads to materialism because, is because, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, nahi kashit shenamapi jatu tishjati karmakrit, karyate hivashak karma sarva prakriti jarugunai. Living entities need activity. Not that they need it, that they are, they are never without it. Even when we're sleeping, we go into uh, hyperactivity because uh, that's the nature of the soul. And then... If one doesn't have a replacement for material activities, if you suggest that uh, you become God and you're not, not given any field for activity, then the only recourse is coming back to the material world. And this is explained by the demigods who are praying to Lord Krishna within the womb, they say, and that is that anyone who imagines a kind of liberation from this material world that doesn't include a relationship with the lotus-eyed Lord will, after giving so much hard work and austerity to get to this whatever position they're in, they'll fall back down again. Patantyada. Again, they fall back down again because there's no engagement. We have to have engagement as souls. 
And so the Mayavad actually promotes uh, materialism because it leaves people no choice. There's no place for them to go. And being uh, left without that, they naturally resort to materialism. And then they sort of do it with full abandon because they've already tried the spiritual, you know, the spiritual outlet of Mayavadism and they can't sustain it. So they just resign themselves to rampant materialism. Okay, I'll read another verse. And then if you pick out any parts that you want to reflect back, then you win. Extra points and free gifts. Karnadakshai Vishnu is the first incarnation of the Supreme Lord. And he is the master of eternal time, space, cause, and effects. Mind, the elements, the material ego, the modes of nature, the senses, the universal form of the Lord, Garbhadakshai Vishnu, and the sum total of all living beings, both moving and non-moving. Purport. That the material creation is not permanent has been discussed many times here and before. The material creation is but a temporary exhibition of the material energy of the Almighty God. This material manifestation is necessary to give a chance to the conditioned souls who are unwilling to associate with the Lord in the relationship of loving transcendental service. Such unwilling conditioned souls are not allowed to enter into the liberated life of spiritual existence because at heart they are, are not willing to serve. Instead, they want to enjoy themselves as imitation gods. The living entities are constitutionally eternal servitors of the Lord. But some of them, because of misusing their independence, do not wish to serve. Therefore, they are allowed to enjoy the material nature, which is called maya or illusion. It is called illusion because the living beings under the clutches of maya are not factually enjoyers, although they think that they are. Being illusioned by Maya, such illusioned living entities are given a chance at intervals to rectify their perverted mentality of becoming false masters of the material nature. And they are imparted lessons from the Vedas about their eternal relationship with the Supreme Lord Krishna. So the temporary creation of the material manifestation is an exhibition of the material energy of the Lord. And to manage the whole show, the Supreme Lord incarnates himself as the Karnadakshai Vishnu, just as a magistrate is deputed by the government to manage affairs temporarily. This Karnadakshai Vishnu causes the manifestation of material creation by looking over his material energy, Saikshita. In the first volume of this book, we have already discussed to some extent the explanation of the verse Jagrahe Paurusham Rupam, the duration of the illusory play and of, of material creation is called a kalpa. And we have already discussed the creations taking place in kalpa after kalpa. By his incarnation and potential activities, the complete ingredients of creation, namely time, space, cause, result, mind, the gross and subtle elements, and their interactional modes of nature, 
goodness, passion, and ignorance, and then the senses and their reservoir source, the gigantic universal form as the second incarnation, Garbhadakshay Vishnu, and all living beings, both moving and standing, which come out of the second incarnation, all become manifested. Ultimately, all these creative elements and the creation itself are but potential manifestations of the Supreme Lord. Nothing is independent of the control of the Supreme Being. This first incarnation in the material creation, namely Karnadakshay Vishnu, is the plenary part of the, of the original personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, described in the Brahma Samhita 548 as follows. All the innumerable universes are maintained only during the breathing period of Mahavishnu or Karnadakshay Vishnu, who is only a plenary part of Govinda, the original personality of Godhead, Lord Krishna. What did you hear? Yes? Um, so that living uh, uh, souls who do not want to serve Krishna in the spiritual world, are uh, they sent down to the material world to learn from the Vedas what um, Lord Krishna's true position is? And also um, that when Mahavishnu breathes in or out, when... I think when Mahavishnu breathes out, the planets are maintained. When he breathes in, they're destroyed. Correct. Very good. Thank you. Oh, I was going to say that. Uh, what does it mean when they say plenary? Like a plenary expansion? Plenary research department, you can look it up. Generally, it means it has the, the complete complete portion. Like when you have a plenary meeting, plenary session, it means everybody's there. So, the, the, there's, yes? Um, it means unqualified or absolute. Unqualified or absolute. And where does the word come from, please? Um, it comes from late Latin, plenus. Plenus. Plenus means what? Um, plenus means what? And then it, and then more late Latin. Okay, you can take it to mean complete. It's like all the forms of the Lord. Departure ev hita shantanama bipetya dipayate brabatehita samana dharma yas tadrageva hita vishnu chayavipati. It means that there's one candle, it lights the other candles. Although there's one original candle, all of them have the same candle uh, or the potency of fire. So similarly, the Lord expands himself unlimitedly in their plenary expansions. They are complete. You're welcome. Did you hear anything else that struck you in that last purport? Or stuck with you? Well, one point is that we're given ample opportunity in the material world to investigate the various combinations and permutations of the material modes of nature. And that's why there are 8,400,000 species of life. What if you went to a theme park and there were like two rides or only? 
you only got a chance to go on two rides, and you could complain. It's like, ah, you know, it wasn't very fun, and I didn't really get a chance. So if we came to the material world, and Krishna only gave you two, two bodies to choose from. You know, you can be a horse, or you can be a duck. That's it. <laughs> That's it? Come on, I want to try being a magpie, or a starling, or a, uh, a moose. You ever want to be a moose? <laughs> Say no. Okay, so. Yeah, 8400000 after you come back from that theme park, no one can say you didn't have a chance. <laughs> because, you know, Krishna is so kind. He doesn't interfere with our, our independence. And when I say, I would like to try the material energy, he says, okay, you know, talk about customer service. It's like, here you go, 8400000 species. You try them all. And see afterwards if, if you'd rather be with me in the spiritual world. And he even, he appears personally in all those different species. Because he's so eager that even though uh, living entities are enamored of Maya, the material energy, he wants to attract them back by his Leela. Deva, he comes in the devas uh, midst, he comes into the devatiryan, the animals, and also naradishu, in the human being uh, realm as well. And even in the vegetable tribes. <laughs> we read last night, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati told us, we should go and preach everywhere, even to the vegetable tribes. <laughs> so for the marathon, <laughs> you guys got to figure out a way to teach, teach the vegetables about Krishna consciousness. Vegetable sankirtan. Yes. Um, there was a lot of embarrassing that this this is such a young amazing brain that picks up so much. But um, it was about the that everyone wants to be God, and I just wonder if this is connected to the ego. Like, you know, somebody with a big ego wants to be God. Is that somehow the condition that we have? And uh, and I guess it's, yeah, it's um, any tips on how to, because everyone wants to be in charge, everyone wants to be the goal, everyone wants to be the top and, and in control. Yeah, that's the, that's the mm-hmm. tough one to, to, to beat. So, um, yeah, just... Well, after uh, experiencing letdown, one after another in the material world after trying to control and then noticing that you can't really keep control. Has anybody else noticed that? Yes. Or is it just me? Um, then one can start to develop this feeling within one's heart after bahunam jammanamante gyanabamam prapadine after Krishna says after many, many lives of trying to dominate the material nature then what occurs in the heart is this sense of no moss. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not the controller. And um, also, as we heard earlier, uh, Prabhupada was uh, alluding to a verse that says, uh, Krishna Bhakta uh, Nishkam Ataiva Shanta, Bhukti Mukti Siddhikami Sakali Ashanta. So you, uh, this verse from, from Chaitanya Charitamrita says, a Krishna Bhakta, Nishkam. So uh, a Krishna Bhakta is Nishkam. Krishna Bhaktas don't want anything. They're Nishkam. 
no khan, because they only want to serve Krishna. And therefore, ata'eva shanta, therefore, ata'eva, they're peaceful. But bhukti, bhukti, siddhi, kami. So all, he names three categories of kamis, those who want something. So bhukti means somebody who wants to enjoy the material world, which is just stupidity. And it doesn't, it doesn't look very good. Uh, to anybody who's a little enlightened, even from a materially existential point of view, they go like, that's what a waste of time. Everybody kind of knows that, but still people try. So the buktis aren't happy. The muktis aren't happy because they want liberation. They want, uh, I want out of this. Get me out of there. Get me out of here. That's the muktis. I want to be free from this. That's a desire. And city, cities means somebody wants to develop their innate superpowers. They, you know, there are ways in which you can uh, become very refined in your consciousness and very focused on the uh, subtle aspects of various elements of the material world. And then you start to take on the, the qualities of those elements through fixation on them, through intense meditation. That's how people develop cities or mystic potencies that they can do amazing things and impress people. That's also material desire. And therefore, Bhukti Mukti Siddhi Kami, Sakali Ashanta, all of them are Ashanta, they're unhappy. So if one comes to understand the exalted position of being a servant, what would you rather be? A king or the servant of a king? Why? Because being a king is a bummer. I mean, there's all these people wanting to kill you, and, you know, even your own family members, did they put poison in it, you know, so little schnicky's going to take over the kingdom because uh, he wants to... And, but if you're the servant of the king, you enjoy the whole opulence of being with the king, but you don't have any anxiety. You just do what he says. So uh, being a devotee is actually really nice. So all these things are pointed out in the Vaishnava literatures, uh, the, the logic of it. And uh, by association of soft-hearted devotees, one comes to desire to be like a devotee. And that's the ideal position. So uh, it's by association that one can give up one's long-cherished desire to control the material world. Okay, one last one. Anyone? Are you all okay? Yes. Okay, here's the next purport. It's a really long verse. I'm not sure how long the purport is, though. I myself, Brahma, Lord Shiva, Lord Vishnu, great generators of living beings like Daksha and Prajapati, yourselves, Narda and the Kumaras, heavenly demigods like Indra and Chandra, the leaders of the Boor Loka planets, the leaders of the earthly planets, the leaders of the lower planets, the leaders of the Gandharva planets, the leaders of the Vidyatara planets, the leaders of the Charnaloka planets, the leaders of the Yakshas, Rakshas, and Uragas, the great sages, the great demons, the great atheists, and the great spacemen, as well as the dead bodies, evil spirits, Satan's jinn, Kushmandas, great aquatics, great beasts and great birds, etc. In other words, anything and everything which is exceptionally possessed of power, opulence, 
mental and perceptual dexterity, strength, forgiveness, beauty, modesty, opulence, and breeding, whether in forms or formless, may appear to be the specific truth and the Lord and the form of the Lord, but actually they are not so. They are only a fragment of the transcendental potency of the Lord. Can anybody remember the list? <laughs> you can do the whole thing? Oh, the whole thing. Try it. See if you can do the whole thing. Um, Hold on, let me look. Okay, go. So the money is um, gin or something. <laughs> uh, Satan. Yeah. Um, beasts, birds, aquatics. Um, Call a friend. <laughs> Plants. Breeding animals. Um. Yeah, they can all throw all those in too. <laughs> They're all just a part of the Lord of this potency. Very good. Thank you. you got the gin. <laughs> what is gin? Look it up. Find in Wikipedia. J J I N N. J I N N. I've got it. Um. Gin. I think it's some, it's a Got it? word, okay. and it's also Romanized, um, it's translated as genie, um, with a broader meaning of spirit or demon. Spirit or demon. Yeah. Okay. They, they are supernatural creatures in early pre-Islamic Arabian religious systems. Thank you. I hope it's on your SAT. <laughs> Purport. Those in the last given above, excuse me, those in the list given above, beginning from the name Brahmaji, the first living creature within the universe, down to Lord Shiva, Lord Vishnu, Narada, and other powerful demigods, men, supermen, sage, we've got another list here, are you ready? <laughs> down to Lord Shiva, Lord Vishnu, Narada, the other powerful demigods, men, supermen, sages, rishis, and the dead bodies, Satan's evil spirits, jinn, aquatics, birds, and beasts may appear to be the Supreme Lord, but factually none of them is the Supreme Lord. Every one of them possesses only a fragment of the great potencies of the Supreme Lord. The less intelligent man is surprised to see the wonderful actions of material phenomena as the aborigines are fearful of a great thunderbolt, a great and gigantic banyan tree, or a great lofty mountain in the jungle. For such undeveloped human beings, merely the sight, the slight display of the Lord's potency is captivating. A still more advanced person is captivated by the powers of the demigods and goddesses. For those who are simply astonished by the powers of anything in the creation of the Lord, without any factual information of the Lord himself, are known as shaktas, or worshippers of the great powers. The modern scientists is also captivated by the wonderful actions and reactions of natural phenomena, and therefore is also a shakta. Scientists are? Correct. These lower grade persons gradually rise to become shariyas, worshippers of the sun god, or ganapatyas, worshippers of the mass of people as Janata, Janardana, or Jirijanarayan, etc., in the form of Ganapati. 
and then rise to the platform of worshiping Lord Shiva in search for the ever-existing soul, and then to the stage of worshiping Lord Vishnu, the super soul, etc. Without any information of Govinda, Lord Krishna, who is the original Lord Vishnu. In other words, I, I didn't read that correctly, so I'm going to go back, sorry. Uh, and then rise to the platform of worshiping Lord Shiva in search of the ever-existing soul, and then to the stage of worshiping Lord Vishnu, the super soul, etc., without any information of Govinda, Lord Krishna, who is the original Lord Vishnu. In other words, in other ways, some are worshippers of race, nationality, birds, beasts, evil spirits, satans, etc. The general worship of Shanidev, the lord of distressful condition, and Shitala Devi, the goddess of smallpox, is also common to the mass of people. And there are many foolish men who worship the mass of people or the poor class of men. So different persons, societies, and communities, etc., worship some of the potent manifestations of the Lord, wrongly accepting the powerful object as God. But in this verse, it is advised by Brahmaji that none of them is the Supreme Lord. They are only borrowed plumes from the original Almighty Lord Sri Krishna. When the Lord advises in Bhagavad Gita to worship him alone, it is to be understood that worshiping Lord Krishna includes worshiping all that is mentioned because he, Lord Krishna, includes everyone. When, last paragraph, when the Lord is described as formless in the Vedic literatures, it is to be understood that all these forms mentioned above within the experience of universal knowledge are different exhibitions of the Lord's transcendental potencies only, and none of them factually represents the transcendental form of the Lord. But when the Lord actually descends on the earth or anywhere within the universe, the less intelligent class of men also mistake him to be one of them, and thus they imagine the transcendence to be formless or impersonal. Factually, the Lord is not formless, nor does he belong to any of the multi-forms experienced within the universal forms. One should try to know the truth about the Lord by following the instruction of Brahmaji. How did that strike your ear? Any point? One, two, three. Um, so basically, if we worship Lord Krishna, we automatically like uh, worship all of these people because uh, they're all like part of Krishna. Correct. Is there any verse that says that somewhere? Mm -hmm. That's nice. Ishvara Paramakrishna. It's a good way to go. There are others too. There's uh, a famous verse that tells about how by worshipping Lord Krishna, it's like we're watering the root of a tree. And it's compared to when you worship Krishna, then you're automatically worshiping all the devas and everybody else because there are branches and twigs and leaves on the tree, but the root is Lord Vishnu. Bhogdanam Yagatapasam works really well. Go ahead, you can say the whole thing. Bhogdanam Yagatapasam Sarva Loka Maheshwaram Suritam Sarva Bhogdanam Yagatapasam 
Could you, could you present why you gave that verse, what it means, please? Um, I don't know the exact translation. The Bhoktaram is Krishna is the supreme enjoyer. And all sacrifices are ultimately, um, he's the enjoyer of all the sacrifices. And Shanti uh, that's the ultimate peace. That's how one can Yeah. Do it. So, Bhoktaram Yagya that all sacrifices uh, are accepted by Lord Krishna. Or he's the one to whom one should offer all sacrifices. He's the only one who can accept them fully and then redistribute the benefit. Bhoktaram, just like your stomach. If you feed your ear, you won't be nourished. But if you feed your stomach, then you'll be nourished because the stomach is set up to supply the rest of the body. Bhoktaram Yagyatapasam Sarvaloka Maheshwara means he controls all the planets, everything else. It's all under his control. And Suridam Sarvutana means he's the, uh, the Suvrit. He's the best friend of every living entity. And so Krishna says, if you know these three things, then you'll be at peace. Yes? So, um, on that point, why, why is there so much attraction to demigod worship? And also, if you, you know, we believe that Krishna is the source of it all, but, uh, but these other, you know, they parts and parcels, so, and they, these people, you know, all people are attracted to that specific aspect of Krishna, because it's also, you know, they, they um, so how we, we can twist that for them, that, that that's, um, that's part and parcel of Krishna is also, accessible um, because you know there's there's a lot of that you know, they attracted to 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 Lord Shiva or to um, to to Durga and and how do we turn it around so to say that you can access that in Krishna as well well just by saying that like the <laughs> logic of watering the root of a tree but you say your original question is why is there so much attraction yeah. despite the fact that people might know or have heard that Krishna is the root of everything and there are several answers. One of them is that people generally want to enjoy the material world. And by coming in top contact with powerful people, demigods are powerful people. They have some post where they have some vested power. And so when people want something for themselves, even though they know there's God, they may also have material desires. So they say, well, how can I go you know, because if I go to Krishna, a lot of people feel like this. If I go to Krishna, he may give me what I want, but he'll also take away my material desires. Like I've heard that in some Indian families, they'll keep Krishna, but they don't let him have a flute. It's this idea that if, if we hear the flute song, we'll give up the material world. <laughs> in fact, Rupa Goswami in one of his prayers says, don't go down to the bank of the Jamuna and see Krishna's form, because if you do, you're finished. <laughs> You'll never want to enjoy the material world again. And there's a sense where I want to maintain my material desire. It's inordinate. And it's called weakness of heart. This weakness of heart is something Prabhupada talks about in the last purport to the 15th chapter of the Gita. And he says that we have to give up the weakness of heart that, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but I want to stay here in the material world and try to enjoy it. Let me just try again. I know Krishna, but still let me have something you know, I, I want to enjoy the material world. So people, Krishna says, go to demigods because, 
or powerful entities because they want to get something from them. And the devotees know that Krishna gives them everything uh, naturally that they need. They're, they're living in an abundance. Krishna's so kind in his relationship, so sweet with his devotees. He says, if, if you decide just to give yourself to me exclusively, so I'll personally carry what you lack and, and pres- carry what you lack and preserve what you have. There's a direct relationship with Krishna. And um, he knows exactly what we need and, and how much of it we need and so forth so that we're actually happy. So it's, it's kind of attachment to the material world. In fact, it's well known if you worship Shiva, he's Ashutosh. He fulfills your desires really quickly. And people notice that those who are worshippers of Lord Shiva, they get all kinds of material benedictions. So they, they want that. But when one becomes, like the verse I quoted maybe this morning or the day before, this is the prayer of devotee saying, and how many ways and for how many lifetimes have I obeyed the bad masters of my senses. They never gave me anything worthwhile. They never gave me time off. And they never gave me mercy of any kind. And I, simp- I just went on serving them, life after life. And he says, no more. My intelligence has awakened. I just want to serve Krishna. Utsri Jaitanatai Yadupate. I want to serve the Lord of Yadu. Uh, and uh, so he's praying. Now... Let me have some you know, service at your lotus feet. And it's so satisfying that the devotees aren't interested in anything in the material world anymore. Okay, 723. Would you like to hear one more verse? Yes. Yeah, yes. Um, as a Sanctum leader, if you met somebody on the street and they turned around and said, yes, I believe in Krishna, but I also believe he's a demigod. I don't believe he's the supreme personality of God. What would your response be to that? Well, did they take the book yet or not? (laughs) (laughs) Half-heartedly. They took the book half-heartedly? Yeah. Well, I would ask them a question. So, uh, generally, whoever's asking the questions is leading the conversation. So if you try to tell people, then it bounces off and they go in their own direction. But if you ask them questions, it leads them to a conclusion. So I I would ask people then, where did you get that idea from? What is your your proof? What's your your, uh, source of information? And if they're a Hindu, then they have to say, eventually they have to say Bhagavad Gita and they say, where in the Bhagavad Gita is it? (laughs) Most people, you know, who are... Uh, Hindus, they say, like, you know, we, 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 we love Bhagavad Gita and so forth, so, but have you read it? <laughs> yeah. But there's also different versions of the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, ours is... Fine. Yeah, but just the translations, you can't get around it. Krishna says, those who have material desires worship the demigods. But then he says, He said, I'm the one fulfilling their desires through the demigod. That's right in the Sanskrit. You can't get around that. You know, you may give this or that explanation, but it's absurd. I mean, it's, so, it's nailed shut in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna asked, uh, Arjuna asked Krishna, what's better, personal and impersonal? Answers. It's very troublesome misery to be attracted to the impersonal. And he asks them all about the devas too. Who are they? In the fifth chapter, the eighth chapter of the Gita, he's asking him, you know, what is this cosmos? Who are the devas? Krishna says. It's right in the Sanskrit. So different versions isn't going to help him. I mean, they may be listening to other people, interpreting them, but uh, if somebody has a little bit of information about the Gita and knows a few of the all you have to do is present it. And that's why Prabhupada gave us the word for word. It only takes for, you know, brilliant people like all of you, it take you about, you know, 10 minutes to memorize the verse and know which word is which to present. And all you need to know is about 40 strong verses from the Gita to hold your own in any, I mean, that's a lot. You could, you could do it with 10 and a couple from the Sri Upanishad. Like, when the devotees first started coming to Krishna consciousness in the early days, there were a lot of bright people. I mean, they have to be to come and surrender to Prabhupada. So some of them went down to South India, and they were sannyasis already. And so, uh, like Achyup Nanda and a few others got in a big debate with some Mayavadis, Brahmins, leaders in the town. And here are these kids, they were in their 20s. Sannyasis from America, from New York City. You know, so they are against these Brahmanas. Prabhupada had already equipped us with the Sri Shapanishad, Bhagavad Gita, and so forth. And these devotees leaned into it. They learned these books. So there was this big debate in a hall, and everyone was leaning in, like, who's going to win this one? And uh, the, the Mayavadi was saying, you know, God ultimately is impersonal. And then Chutananda quoted from the Upanishad. He said, the Mayavadi said, we want to hear Shruti. So he said, we'll give you Shruti. Here's Sri Shapanishad. He said, He says that the devotee's praying here to see the face of the Lord. How can that be impersonal? The impersonal rays are covering the face. And the whole crowd you know, went on the side of these kids, you know, they're like, yeah, you've got him, you know, and he couldn't say anything. I mean, he could say something, but it, but it, he, the door was already shut. It's, Prabhupada gave us everything, and all you have to learn is 40 verses from the Bhagavad Gita. You should learn the whole thing, by the way, but you can just learn 40 <laughs> verses, and, and when you know the key, 40 key verses, then, you know, you say, you can just pointed out. So, you know, uh, people on the street, I would ask them, you know, where does it come from? Where's your, where's your reference? And if they don't have a Shastric reference, they just have their opinion, then what can be said? At least they took the book. Yeah. Right? Thank you. You're welcome. You want to hear one more purport? Yes. Time's up. Wow.
734, I don't know what. 734. One more purport. And then Dhammarashtakam? Yes. Yes, yes. okay. <laughs> Just what? This is the last purport in the chapter. Haribo! Haribo. Yeah. We can celebrate in about five minutes. O Narada, says Brahmaji, now I shall state, one after another, the transcendental incarnations of the Lord, known as Leela Avataras. Hearing of their activities counteracts all foul matters accumulated in the ear. Are you guys listening? O Narada, now I shall state, one after another, the transcendental incarnations of the Lord, known as the Leela Avataras. Hearing of their activities counteracts all foul matters accumulated in the ear. These pastimes are pleasing to hear and are to be relished. Therefore, they are in my heart. Want to hear the purport? Yeah. As it was said in the beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam 158, one cannot be fully satisfied by hearing unless and until one is given a chance to hear of the transcendental activities of the Lord. So Brahmaji is also trying in this verse to stress the importance of narrating the transcendental pastimes of the Lord as he comes and manifests himself here on the surface of the material planets. Every living entity has a tendency to hear pleasing messages. And as such, almost every one of us is inclined to hear news and talks broadcast by radio stations. But the difficulty is that no one is satisfied at heart by hearing all those messages. The cause of such dissatisfaction is the incompatibility of the message with the innermost stratum of the living soul. This transcendental literature is especially prepared by Srila Vyasadeva to give the utmost satisfaction to the people in general by narration of the activities of the Lord as instructed by Sri Nardamuni to Srila Vyasadeva. Such activities of the Lord are principally of two varieties. One concerns the mundane manifestation of the material creative force, and the other deals with his pastimes in the form of different incarnations in terms of time and place. There are innumerable incarnations of the Lord like the waves of the river flowing constantly in and out. Less intelligent persons take more interest in the creative forces of the Lord in the material world and being disconnected from their relationship with the Lord, they put forward many theories of the creation in the name of scientific research. The devotees of the Lord, however, know well how the creative forces work concurrently by the action and reaction of the material energy of the Lord. Therefore, they take more interest in the transcendental activities of the Lord as he incarnates himself on the surface of the material world. Srimad Bhagavatam is the history of such activities of the Lord and people who take interest in hearing Srimad Bhagavatam clear their hearts of accumulated money and filth. There are a thousand and one rash literatures on the market. But one who has taken interest in the Srimad Bhagavatam loses all interest in such filthy literatures. Sri Brahmaji is thus attempting to narrate the principal incarnations of the Lord so that they may be drunk by Narda as transcendental nectar. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta process of the sixth canto, sixth chapter, 
Well, the Srimad Bhagavatam entitled Purusha Sukta confirmed that finishes this volume. Proof positive that we're making advancement. Om Tat Sat. Any last comments about uh, this section or the reading in general before we do the Brahma? Uh, the a couple of devotees online asked if you have a list of the important, most important 10 verses and of the 40 verses that you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can give them a list. You mean what you'd say off the top of my head? <laughs> well, is, uh, do you have it compiled somewhere? Yeah. Okay. We can, we can we'll post them. it on, on, the, on the Facebook page, on the Family okay. Spark Facebook page. Fair enough, yes. Okay. Sorry for uh, too many questions, but um, I, I hope I understood correctly that we should take interest in Leela as terms of and not not on the on the creation, but not so much on the energies that that are you know ruling the world. So would that mean that we shouldn't really take much interest in, for example, um, environmental protection? No, we can take interest in anything. Or, no, it, it goes, it's like this. Everything has a connection to the Supreme. So, in fact, we started the second camp a couple of weeks ago, and the whole conversation starts with Shukadev pointing out the energies of the Lord. And uh, they're all connected to Krishna. Nothing's disconnected from Krishna. They're all his energies. And if we see them in that connection, then they're of great interest. So... Uh, Krishna explains in this, uh, he will soon in, in upcoming verses, Ratiratam yat pratieta, na pratieta chatmani, tadvidyada anomayam, yatabhaso yatatamaha. Anything that you see that doesn't have a relationship to me, that's maya. Because there is nothing that's not connected to Krishna. So if you see it as separate from Krishna, then you're covered by maya. And so actually, we want everything. There's nothing excluded. So uh, if you uh, take science, if you take uh, the, the energies of the Lord, you're studying ecology, is extremely helpful and interesting, especially when you see it in relationship to Krishna. For instance, uh, you know, how is it that the, the environment's getting so polluted right now? Uh, and why is, it, why is it in such balance in the first place? And out of balance and you know the reason that it's becoming polluted is because people don't see its relationship with God and therefore they try to exploit nature they take too much they also um, consider that there's no God so they just uh, exploit the energies and therefore you know there's rampant pollution and when people see in relationships to God like Prabhupada points out that uh, in God-conscious cultures, and he himself, he didn't like to cut down trees. That's why in, in Juhu Beach, Bombay, when they were constructing the temple there, Prabhupada saved the trees. They're right in the middle of the road. They do this in India. You're driving along freeway, and all of a sudden, hey, there's a tree growing out of the road. And why is that? That's a civilized culture where people see, like, a tree is important. And... So when you're God-conscious, you see every aspect of the Lord's creation as important. The devotees are the real ecologist. If, if you take care of uh, the cow, for instance, then the cow restores the environment, just walks around, eats the grass, and uh, 
puts down dung and then all the biological activity comes back, you know, the way it was before. And Prabhupada was very interested in that, in ecology, and that we should present it to the world. In fact, in, in New Zealand, Devamrita Swami and his followers and other devotees there have become some of the world experts in ecology. In fact, people come to them and ask them questions. I mean, mainstream uh, reporters and things, when something happens, uh, they come and ask them. And it, it's an excellent uh, platform for presenting Krishna consciousness. Uh, Dayananda um, Prabhu has written a book about this, about the ecology, and his argument is it's the most important way that we should be preaching and presenting Krishna consciousness is about the ecology. And so it's all relatable to And if you're into music uh, or dance or science or psychology, if you relate it to Krishna or even demigods, we're not against demigods. If, in fact, it's an offense to see demigods as separate from Krishna and disrespect them. And Rukmini, we just read it the other night, she went to worship Durga right before her wedding and she was praying, please let Krishna come and take me out of here. The gopis, the emblem of, of worship of Krishna, they worship Katyayani because they wanted Krishna as, as their husband. So we're not even against demigod worship. It's just that when you separate the demigods from Krishna and try to do it independently, then it's illegal. And when you separate the environment from Krishna, then you got a mess. Om Tat Sat. Thank you everybody for coming to the Bhagavatam reading here in Kartik, in Bhishma Panchaka.